1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David listens to Abigail and praises God for her actions. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 32. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 32.
2: To you alone. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 25. We looked at the start of this chapter and it began with the in, impending doom of David and his men marching to wipe out Nabal and his workforce because of a personal insult. And we're going to answer the question that verse 31 left us with. Abigail had a reasonable heart. And she does a masterful job at trying to repair the wrong her husband did. But does David have the same heart? Will he accept the apology? Will he be reasonable in his response? And the answer is, kind of, sort of, not really. While David is reasonable toward Abigail, Nabal's slander triggered something in David. We're going to see from this moment forward, a slow slide backwards from David. He's been doing such a good job, and this kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back. And so he's going to begin to slide backwards on a, a slow pace at first, but it's eventually going to land him in a place where he's willing to lead his men to take up arms against his own people by fighting with their enemies, the Philistines. And so we're going to look at the importance of having a reasonable heart but a little bit more from David's perspective. So chapter 25, we begin in verse 32. When David said to Abigail, his response to her, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me, and blessed be your advice, and blessed be thou which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. For in very deed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, which has kept me back from hurting you, except you hasted and come to meet me, surely there had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light any that urinated against the wall. So David, he received of her hand that which she had brought him and said unto her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have hearkened to your voice and have acknowledged or accepted your person. David starts off and he praises the Lord for sending Abigail to him. That's what the phrase blessed be means. It means praises be to. So he says, praises be to the Lord God of Israel, which sent you this day to meet me. David actually, his response has three things that he praises. He's going to praise the Lord. Then he's going to praise Abigail's discernment. And then thirdly, he's going to praise Abigail for her involvement in the solution to this problem. But he starts off here by praising the Lord for sending Abigail today to meet me. I think it's interesting that David acknowledges that it's the Lord who sent Abigail to him, which conversely means that Abigail was willing to obey the Lord's leading, right? God put something on her heart when she heard the message from one of her servants, and she responded to it quickly and obediently. It's interesting, we, like Abigail, are sent by the Lord to those who are headed towards wickedness, right? The Lord sends us to those who are headed towards wickedness. We are sent to plead with them to turn from their current path and to do things the Lord's way. And so before we even dig into David's part, it's a good question to ask, am I being obedient to God's sending? Am I willing and ready to go and meet someone who's headed towards destruction? To share the good news with them, to seek to encourage them to turn around and to follow the Lord. It's important that we note how different Abigail's response is to David's response in this crisis. Abigail hears about it, and she immediately goes and does what the Lord tells her to do, even though it's a dangerous situation. David, on the other hand, when he gets the news that Nabal's insulted him in verse 13, we don't see any type of leading from the Lord. He says, "Gird you on every man is sword. And then we read in verses 21 and 22 why they're girding. He says that. And David had said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that pertains unto him. And he has repaid me evil for good. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David. If I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning, light any that urinates against the wall. That's a phrase for a man, by the way. He says, if I leave any man alive in Nabal's employ. David did not see himself as God's ambassador like Abigail did. David was following himself. If you note all the I's and all the me's in verses 21 and 22, you'll be surprised because there's quite a few. David was all about himself in this situation. It wasn't about following the Lord. And David also acknowledges this. In verse 33, when he blesses her discernment, he acknowledges that he was on his own in this matter, that he was going to do something wrong. He says, and blessed be your advice, and blessed be thou which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging, not the Lord or righteousness or anything, but from avenging myself with mine own hand. He acknowledges this. He said, it's a good thing somebody listened to the Lord because I wasn't. I was mad and that's all I could see at that moment in time. And so he blesses her. He says, blessed be your advice. It means good judgment or discernment. I hear people a lot of times say, oh, you know, he's got the gift of discernment. We'll address that in a little bit. Discernment is the ability to grasp and comprehend what's going on around you so that you know the right thing to do. It's the ability to grasp and comprehend what's going on around you so that you know the right thing to do. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about discernment. He said, discernment, he said, it's not knowing the difference between right and wrong. He said, it's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Isn't that interesting? That's such a good quote because it's true. It's not just the difference between knowing right and wrong because so often that's obvious. Where we get messed up is because we're almost right. We get into a situation where we're close to right, but we totally blow it because it's not entirely right. It's just almost right. I have found myself in so many situations where I'm going to talk to somebody and I'm like, all right, I got the idea how I'm supposed to handle this. I know what the Lord wants me to do. And you get in there and then somewhere along the lines, you lose discernment and you say something really dumb or you do it in an attitude that's just not appropriate. It's almost right. Discernment, therefore, is not a spiritual gift. Discerning of spirits is a spiritual gift. That's what the Bible says is a spiritual gift. That is different from good judgment, which is what discernment is. Now, David tells us where good judgment comes from in Psalm 119, verse 66. Psalm 119, verse 66, that long psalm in the Bible. David tells us where discernment comes from. Verse 66 of Psalm 199 says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge. And here it is. For I have believed your commandments. See, David explains that good judgment doesn't, is just something that God supernaturally gifts to us. It comes from knowing what God says in his word and then learning to rely on it instead of my own understanding. That's where discernment comes from. In the New Testament, it talks about how we have had our discernment exercised because we are applying the word of God to our lives. We are learning the word of God and then we're living it out. We're applying it to our lives. And so that knowledge of God's word, when it's mixed with faith, it gives us an understanding of God's character and therefore an understanding of his ways with us. And that's what keeps us from saying the wrong thing in that moment or doing the wrong thing, even though we might be almost right. We know that's not the way to go. That's not the wise thing to say right now. That's not the appropriate way to act right now. That's not the appropriate tone of voice to use. And so we avoid catastrophe and being almost right for what pleases by doing what pleases the Lord instead. Abigail didn't just know what was good in this situation. (laughs) She knew exactly what God wanted her to do to avert a great catastrophe. She had good judgment. And so David praises her good judgment. Blessed be your advice. And then he says, blessed be you. You should be praised, Abigail, because you kept me. Yes, the Lord kept me, but he did it by sending you. And you were faithful, and so you have kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hands. Hand. You have stopped me, restrained me, hindered me from doing something wicked. David praises Abigail because she saved lives and she kept David from a great sin. Because verse 34 tells us what David had intended to do. He says, For in very deed, which means on the other hand, in other words, if you had not done this, if you had not been obedient to the Lord, and if you had not hindered me, he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, which has kept me, he's the one that kept me back. He used you, but he kept me back from hurting you. Except you had hastened and come to meet me, surely there would not have been one left unto Nabal by the morning that urinates against the wall. David, I think it's interesting the language he uses here because he says, what I'm about to tell you is as much a truth as the truth that God's alive. As the Lord lives. When someone says that, they're saying, what I'm about to tell you is just as much a truth as the fact that God is alive. Aren't you glad you serve a living God? I mean, that's one thing we can always count on. We can always know that our God is real. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, how can I know that God's real? Well, let me share with you that following Jesus will always have an element of believing in what you can't see. So if you're looking for all of the elements of faith to be something you can see, you're going to be disappointed because the Bible doesn't claim that that's what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us that faith is the... Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the realization of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, our faith is not entirely based on what we cannot see. There is a substance to our faith, there is a substance to our hopes. Our worship, the Bible says, is reasonable, it's logical. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 calls it our reasonable, our logical act of worship. How is our faith? Logical or reasonable? How how is it a substance we can see? Well, creation is the most basic substance. That God exists and that He is all powerful is something we can learn just by looking out our window. In Romans chapter one verse twenty, it tells us: "For the invisible things of God have been clearly seen by those things that are made." It says, "For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen." How? Being understood by the things that are made. And then it tells us what the things we do know about God from that. His eternal power and his Godhead. The fact that he exists, his Godhead, and his all-powerfulness. His eternal power. So that they are without excuse. So creation is the most basic substance we have for our faith. We call this general revelation. You don't need a Bible to understand that. Any person can look out there and know God's real and he's big. All right? And to ignore and reject that is to ignore and reject what you can see with your own eyes. Now, the greatest substance, though, is not creation. It is God's word. In Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 through 8, when God is reasoning with Israel in their idolatry, he says to them in verses 6 through 8, he says, Thus says the Lord, this is Isaiah 44, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8. He says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call, the the phrase there means to proclaim something, and shall declare it, and shall set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, well, who are they? Let them show them. He calls anyone to the table. He says, you say you're God, you say you're real. Then you come and declare what's real. You come and declare what's true. You come and predict the future and let's see how you do. And of course, nobody can do that except the Lord. In verse 80 says, fear you not, need to be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and have I not declared it? You are even my witnesses. I'm the only one who does this. Is there a God beside me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. I've invited anyone to come to the table to predict accurately 100%. No one has come. I'm the only one who can do that. In Isaiah 44, verses 24 through 26, he says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he that formed you from the womb, I am the Lord that makes all things, that stretches forth the heavens alone, that spreads abroad the earth by myself, that frustrates the tokens of the liars, these Predictions that these prophets make and stuff like that. That turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolish. That confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers. Jesus taught the same truth. In John five thirty nine. he said, You search the scriptures, rightly so, because they speak about me. The Lord, through his prophets, predicted things. And so we call this special revelation because it contains, God's word contains eyewitness accounts and proves through predictive prophecy. Now, what's interesting about this concept of our faith that there is a seen component and an unseen component, we see that is the consistent teaching of scripture. In Second Peter, he describes our faith this way. In 2 Peter chapter 1, I believe, Verse 16, Peter is about to go home to be with the Lord. He's about to be executed for his faith. He was an eyewitness. And he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He goes, my faith is based on something I heard with my own ears. I saw with my own eyes. It's real. I'm not making stuff up and passing it on to you. But then he says this, but we have a more short word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place. He says, I've got my eyewitness account, but you've got all of scripture here. You've got the entirety of scripture that is something that is real, that is substance, that you can know that the Lord is real. You can examine this thing. I tell you, every time God comes through, when I find something here and I go, Lord, this doesn't seem to line up with what I'm seeing. And the Lord says, then you need to keep digging, son, because the problem's not me. And every single time the Lord shows himself to be faithful. I am the most skeptical of skeptics out there. I don't believe anything anybody tells me. I'm certainly not just going to take anything at face value. And I've seen over and over again of my 30 plus years of walking with Jesus. His word is real. It's proven to be true. So he talks about what is our substance. But then look at the end of verse 19 here in 2 Peter 1. Because then he gets to the unseen part. He says, you know, where unto you dwell, you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Verse 19 here describes the substance and the unseen part of our faith. In other words, God's word is the light that shines so we can see we have substance. And that is the thing we hold on to as real until Jesus, the part we can't see until he returns for us. There will always be an unseen part. I cannot tell you. You say, how do you know Jesus is coming back? Well, the word tells me. I need more. I need to see him. Well, the Bible doesn't promise you will, not until he returns. So you need to have the part that is the substance base of your faith. But then there is the part where you need to trust the Lord. Because without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord, right? For you who comes to him must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, there is one other substance to our faith. And it is God's work in the lives of his people. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, he tells the Corinthians, you are our letters, our of recommendation, of commendation. You are living epistles with God's work written on your heart. When we say things like, why doesn't God do miraculous things for me? It's because we hear about the miraculous things God's doing in others. It's not because we don't think miracles exist. We don't say it because they don't ever happen. We say it because why didn't it happen to me? Have you ever been in that situation where somebody tells you a story and they're like, man, God came through for me. It's so amazing. You know, we, we had this situation come up and, and God gave me a new car. And you're like, yeah, what, what, where am I in the queue? There are times when it doesn't seem like God's doing that in our lives and we question, we're like, God, are you out there? It's not because we don't hear the stories of him working in other people's lives. It's because we don't necessarily see it in that moment in our lives. That's why it's so important to be around other believers, though. Because we are living letters of God's real work. Peter calls us living stones in what Jesus is building. Well, David believed God being real was the most real thing out there. And he has to. <laughs> he has to be real because he's the only person who could have changed David's mind from his intent to kill every single man in Nabal's employ. And now when David says this, I could almost imagine, you know, a little gulp from Abigail, like, oh, that's what was going to happen. That's what we just averted. This is the part where I would have taken a deep gulp followed by a sigh of relief. She'd been right to follow God's leading because an absolute disaster had barely been averted. And sadly, of course, when we obey the Lord, it doesn't always end that way because it takes two to tango, right? It does. It takes two to tango. David could have resisted the Lord's work through Abigail and hardened his heart, which brings us now back to our text and and our application of, do I have a reasonable heart or the importance of a reasonable heart? Do you listen to people who tell you you're headed in the wrong direction? Ever? Or do you resist those voices because you always believe you're right? Which of those two attitudes describes your life better? One of those real frank conversations I have to have with people every once in a while is I say, do you... Ever listen to someone else when they tell you to not do what you want to do? I mean, has there ever been a time where you said, you know, maybe you're right. I need to think about that and pray about that. Because if the answer to that is no, then you might want to consider if the problem's not everyone else. It's very easy to say, well, you don't understand. Or I know what I need to do here. Or I'm doing the best I can. That may be true. All of those things may be true. But we are so fallible. It's why we need to listen to other people. It's why the Bible tells us that There's wisdom in many counselors. It's why it tells us the importance of humility and allowing good counsel to come into your life. Because if you say that the attitude that describes your life a little better is the one that resists other people's voices, that is not a reasonable heart. That's a stubborn, proud heart. We quote Proverbs 16, verse 18 all the time. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But we often forget the verses that are right around it. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 16 through 20 says this. It says, How much better is it to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keeps his way preserves his soul. Pride, in contrast to that, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He that handles a matter wisely shall find good. And whosoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Do you see the verses that frame that verse? It's the famous one. The other ones are the ones we don't tend to remember. But those are just as important. This is not just a generic warning against pride. It's a warning against ignoring good counsel. Of ignoring those who share God's word with us because, well, I think I know better. But these verses here in Proverbs 16 are also a promise of something better. Not destruction. Not a fall. Something better to the one who does listen to biblical counsel. Something better to the one who does stop to ponder if maybe and consider maybe my judgment is actually bad in this situation. Maybe I'm not having the right approach to this. In my family growing up, listening skills was not something that we were instilled with. We talked over one another all the time. And the only reason that you were being quiet when someone else was speaking was because you were trying to figure out what you're going to say next. And I remember when I started dating my wife and uh, she didn't fight very well. Well, she learned to fight, but she didn't very well at first. And man, it was just boom, 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 boom. I I could get her anytime I wanted to. If it was a, we're going to get an argument, I could win it. And little bit by little bit, I saw how I was breaking my wife's heart. How the reality was, I just didn't listen to much of anything she had to say. Oh, I wasn't a complete idiot, a complete fool. There were certainly times I would listen to her advice or her thoughts on things. There were things that were clearly, obviously wrong with me. But I didn't want to see all the other things that were very clearly wrong with me. They just weren't clear to me. And the person who loved me the most, who cared about me the most to point them out because she wanted me to go on with Jesus and to grow in the Lord, I didn't have the time to listen to. That leads to a bad spot. And so, and I had to learn to cultivate a heart that actually listens, that stops before it's going to respond and speak and says, okay, think about what was just told to you. And it's funny because there'll be times when we have an argument now, but I'm like, I stop. And I go, you know what? You're right. You're right. I got nothing. And sometimes just taking a moment to stop and actually process what the other person has said keeps you from a possible catastrophe. It brings the blessings that Proverbs 16 talks about. Having a reasonable heart is a result of being humble. And God gives grace to the humble, doesn't he? Don't you need a lot of grace? I know I do. I need a ton of grace.
1: This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play.